Uh, but it is great to have you back here tonight. We've been looking at the book of James, and we're in James chapter number three tonight. And we are going to cover, are you ready? Over half of the chapter. Some of you are looking at the time. Yes, I know it's 5.30. Don't worry, I only have three points. It'll go by quick. Uh, three points tonight from the book of James, chapter number three. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven by fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing, my brother, and these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. We're going to talk about the tongue tonight. The tongue is so powerful. Uh, one of the first messages I heard preached about the tongue, the preacher brought in an actual cow's tongue. I went to Walmart. They didn't have any cow's tongues, so you guys are lucky tonight. Uh, plus, I wouldn't want to bring that in here anyways and have to have it sitting up here while I'm trying to preach the whole night. I'd be staring at it. You would be staring at it, and we wouldn't get anything from the message. But you look at a tongue, and the tongue isn't, it isn't a very lovely part of our body, okay? Nobody, no guy, when they meet that girl, goes, wow, look at that tongue. They go and look at their eyes, look at their hair. I mean, it's a small thing, and it's, it's, it's nasty. I could never be a dental hygienist. I can never be a dentist and look in people's mouths all day long, because sometimes I look at people's mouths and go, I would hate to be your dentist. One of our good friends back in Charlotte, her husband is a dentist, and I said I went to the dentist there. I didn't go. I was taking uh, my wife there, and I was talking to her at the front desk. I said, how often do you guys talk about people after they leave the dentist in their mouth? She goes, oh, everybody. Because if you've got a nasty mouth, we're talking about you when we leave. <laughs> If you were lying to us and saying you floss every day, we know better, and we're talking about you when you leave. I wouldn't remind me never to come to you guys because I don't want one of my friends there knowing everything about my mouth. But the tongue is a small thing, yet so powerful. And here there are several illustrations that James gives about the tongue and compares it to several objects that we use in even modern times today. And we're going to look at those illustrations tonight and look at the tongue and the power of the tongue. Because the Bible says, for in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. And I think we would all agree in here tonight that none of us are perfect. 
Nobody in here has arrived. Nobody has, uh, is a perfect person, starting right here up front, okay? And so it's something that we all struggle with because the Bible says uh, you would be perfect because no man can tame the tongue, but we need to be working on it. We need to be able to, through God's power, tame our tongue. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be in your house tonight and to come together and open your word once again. And I thank you for how practical your word is, written so many years ago, but yet, Lord, it's something that we can use every single day of our life. Lord, I pray that you would just uh, work and, and use your word tonight to change lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, James earlier in chapter 2 alluded to the tongue, but he goes in and delves deep into it here. And the first illustration he gives is about a bit and a rudder. And our three points tonight are going to be these illustrations. And so we go into verse 3. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths that they obey us. And we turn about their whole body. Anybody in here horse riders? I'm not. I've ridden a horse one time, unless you count Shetland ponies, and then I've done it several times at the fair. But they won't let me ride them anymore for some reason. <laughs> I don't understand why. Uh, but when you ride a horse, you put that bit in its mouth. Why? So that you can pull on those reins. You can pull to the right, pull to the left, and get that horse to go where you want. Now, a horse weighs a lot more than me. It weighs a whole lot more than me. It's a lot more powerful than I am. But you put that small piece of metal in its mouth, and you can control where it goes, even though it's so much bigger than you. Uh, he also goes on in verse 4 and says, Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. I love watching documentaries on the Titanic and reading books and articles about the Titanic. Because it was the unsinkable ship. Nobody, not even God, could sink the Titanic. And it sits at the bottom of the ocean today. But if you were to look at a diagram of the Titanic, the rudder in the back that turned it, compared to the massive size of the ship, is minuscule. Yet that little thing, when the captain turns it, and it turns, it pushes the boat wherever that captain wants it to go. A rudder is such a small part of a ship, yet it's so important. You lose that rudder, you're in big trouble. If you're out horseback riding and you lose those bits out of the horse's mouth, you're in big trouble, I would assume. Uh, you don't want that horse going wild. You'd have no control over it. Try to stop it, to try to get it to slow down. But they're so small. Could they really be that important? But James is trying to make a point here and saying, listen, your tongue is a small member, but it is so, so powerful for both good and for evil. And we're going to look at both things tonight. We go on to verse 5. The Bible says, Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. We like to talk. People like to talk. I was talking, I forget who I was talking to this morning. They were talking about the girls on this teen trip, the younger girls. I won't mention any names of who was on the trip, uh, but I was talking to Emily about it tonight too. And I heard that they like to talk that they were singing, that they were talking. Uh, teenage girls like to talk, okay? And we get men like to pick on our wives about always talking, but men, I've seen some of your wives waiting by the door for you to leave, and they're ready to go home, and I'll go, what are you still doing here? And that wife will go, I'm waiting for my husband, he's still in there talking. We like to talk, and we talk a lot. Some people talk more than others. Uh, have you ever met the people that like to talk? I like having conversations with those people because the conversation never dies. 
It is great. I've been in rooms with people, and you try to start the conversation, and it goes, and then you try to talk again, and it just keeps crashing, and it goes nowhere, and that's so hard. Uh, but I like to talk. We like to talk, and we can talk. And Have you ever thought about how great God made our bodies, that our vocal cords and our tongues and our voice box, how everything works together, and we can form words out of that? And if one thing happens, uh, you look at the rock stars, and when they get they abuse their voice and they get those nodules on their, their vocal folds and it can ruin their voice. One little thing happens and that, that can hurt your voice and hurt your ability to speak. But God created our body so perfect and gave us the ability to speak so that we could talk. He wants us to talk, okay? He gave us the ability to speak. He gave us the ability, and the human beings are the only one that can do this, to put words and melody together to be able to sing. And I'm thankful to be part of a singing church. I've been in church before, leading the music, playing the instruments um, at one church in particular. And we, I was up there, and I was leading the music my first Sunday. I was just out of college. I was excited. I was ready to take on the world. Uh, and I got up there to lead the singing, and there were two people in the audience singing. <laughs> and I can tell you how hard it is to keep that enthusiasm and that excitement when nobody in, everybody in the congregation, there were some that wouldn't even stand up. I said, let's, like Brother Lee comes up and says, everybody stand up and let's sing. Uh, and they all sat there. I always thought, Brother Lee, what would happen? You say, if somebody, if you believe that, stand with us and let's sing. Some of those people didn't stand. I don't know if they didn't believe what we were singing or obviously it wasn't a melody in their heart, but that was so hard. But God gave us the ability to sing and put words and music together. Why? To glorify his name and to be able to sing praises to him. Our tongue is so small, but it can be used for so many great things. And he goes on here in verse 6, or at the end of verse 5, he says, Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Fire is a powerful thing. You've watched the wildfires in California this year and the massive damage that it's done to the West over there. Here in Tennessee, not that long ago, had some bad wildfires, did we not? It all started by one, one fire. One little fire is all it takes. Now, I am not a camper by any means. My idea of camping is going to a cabin where there's running water and electricity and uh, free continental breakfast. I like going to the Holiday Inn, okay? That's my idea of camping. But uh, we went camping as teenagers because our youth director was this great outdoors guy. He really wasn't, but he thought he was. And he went and he bought all this camping equipment, and he was so excited to use it for the first time with the teenagers. But he had no idea what he was doing. And it was scary, him playing with fire. And he loved fire. Most guys like to play with fire, okay? They're like, he poured a little bit too much gas on the fire, you know, and it blew up really big. Uh, but he had a kerosene lantern. And to this day, I don't like kerosene lanterns because of this. He lit it, and I don't know what he did wrong, but he spilled the kerosene out, and the whole picnic table, the wood picnic table that was at the campsite caught on fire. And there's people from campsites, six campsites away, coming and dumping their coolers of ice and their food. I mean, I'm sure people ruined their meals on that. Uh, but all it took was one little spark, and that whole picnic table was on fire immediately. And the, uh, it was in the fall, and so some of the leaves started to catch on fire. And it was scary. And, and all it was was because of a little spark that started that fire. And our tongue is just like that. We can start fights immediately. It's so easy. You just walk up to someone and talk bad about somebody else, and you've started a fire. And then they go and tell somebody else, and they tell somebody else. And pretty soon, there's a wildfire. There's a forest fire. And it all started out as one little word that our tongue said. 
Something that we didn't have to say, something that we probably shouldn't have said, but we haven't learned to tame our tongue. And I'm telling you from experience, too, I struggle with it as well. One of my biggest struggles is sarcasm. It's a family issue. My dad is a very sarcastic person. He has a shirt that he got at a youth conference he was preaching at one time that says sarcasm, just one of the many services I offer. And I tend to be very sarcastic. And when Kelly, uh, when Kelly first, we were dating, I took her to meet my family. I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing, but she met some of my family members. Uh, and I remember her leaving and going, I can't. <laughs> Why, why was he so mean to me? Why did he say this? Why did he say this? And it was one of my uncles and my dad. And when that family gets together, everything is sarcasm. Uh, and she wasn't used to that. I don't know if that's a normal family thing. I think we're kind of abnormal as a family. Uh, that's what people tell me anyways. But, but they're very sarcastic. And she struggled with it. And sometimes I struggle with that. I tend to be a sarcastic person. And so I'll say something to somebody in sarcasm that will in turn hurt them and cause them to sin and cause them to be angry. And so I have to learn to control my tongue as well. It's something that we all struggle with, and maybe in different ways. Uh, not everybody struggles with gossip. In some way, not as much as other people. Okay, Some people really struggle with it. They hear a bit of information, and they want to tell the entire world. I, I don't necessarily struggle with that as much. Now, have I gossiped before? Yes, I have. I'm not saying I never struggle with it. Uh, but some of you might not struggle with being over-sarcastic. I do. That's a way that I have to control my tongue, and God's convicted my heart. And I've said things sometimes uh, and had to go back and apologize. Wednesday night, if you were here, I said something, and at the end I apologized to Miss Terry and go, I want you to know I appreciate Miss Terry, because I had said something sarcastic in the message, and I sat down, and it was the end of the message, and God convicted my heart and said, Daniel, you probably shouldn't have said that. And I went, oh, but it was in church. That means i got to apologize in front of everybody. Uh, but God, it's something we all are working on, all right? Nobody has arrived. It's something that we all have to work on day by day. But the Bible, James says that we can start fires, and they get out of control, and we lose control of it, and it does damage. You think of that fire we had in Tennessee, how many homes were lost, how much damage was done, how many trees were lost that have been there for hundreds of years. And those trees can never be, uh, we can plant new trees and start to rebuild, but it's going to take time. Because that fire did permanent damage. And our words, yes, we can rebuild relationships. Yes, we can ask for forgiveness. But those words can hurt. Amen. And whoever said sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I don't know what world they were living in, but words hurt. Amen. I think everybody in this room could say at some point in your life, you've been hurt by words. Whether somebody meant to hurt you with them, but we've been hurt. Or we've hurt people. An accident, on purpose. But, but God says we need to learn to control our tongue because when you were hurt by words, it was hard to build that relationship back. Amen. It was hard. It took time. It took work. It's a fire. It's sin to use our tongue for evil. Amen. We're going to look at the positives, too, as we go through. Uh, so it's a fire. We could start a fire that burns down things. To start, or we could start the fires of revival in people's hearts. I got excited when I heard Brother Bernard invited somebody to church, and the next day they came to church, Brother Bernard and Miss Kathy there. That's exciting. That's what we should be doing with our tongues, telling people about Christ, handing out tracts, uh, encouraging each other. Instead of starting fires uh, of hate towards each other and spreading rumors and spreading lies or spreading gossip, instead of that, we should be spreading love for each other. We should be encouraging each other. Uh, one of the greatest ladies in our last church, 
Um, she struggled health-wise. She was an older lady, uh, but she would come up to me before the service or after the service. If she liked the song, she'd go, uh, they called me Pastor Bishop there. I hated that. Pastor Bishop is my dad. I'm so glad you guys called me Daniel. But she came up and said, Pastor Bishop, I just, the old rugged cross is my favorite song. And she broke down in tears. And I want you to know that that was so encouraging me, to me today. And I love your family. And I'm so encouraged to have you here. And you, you just encouraged me so much. And do you know what that did to me? That broke my heart. And I'm like, well, thank you. That encouraged me. But how many times do we just want to go up to someone and go, you know what I don't like about you? I don't like the color tie you have on today. I don't like the special you sang. You were off pitch in that quartet, Daniel. You look like you didn't even know the song. How could you not know that song? Everybody knows that song. You know what? I just don't even, I don't even know why you're here. Why do you even try? And we tear down, and it's so easy to do that. But we need to be purposeful in going and encouraging others. Hey, shake Brother Lee's hand and go, Brother Lee, thank you for all your work in directing the music. Hey, shake the choir members' hands. You know that they don't get paid to be up here to sing, okay? They don't. They do it because they love to sing. Shake Miss Regina's hand and say, thank you for playing the piano. Yeah, it's hard to sing when you don't have a piano player over there. That piano just adds the energy to it. Go up and shake her hand and thank her. I think if you ask some of these people the last time somebody thanked them, they'd probably go, it's, it's been a while, and it shouldn't be that way. We can be in And that's something easy to do. It doesn't cost you any money. It takes probably 30 seconds. And we can always find something to encourage somebody with. Even the worst singer in the world. There was a man in a choir one time, and I was trying to say something encouraging to everybody. I picked a different person every service, and I just said, <laughs> And he was in the choir, and bless his heart, he couldn't sing. And I love him to death, and he would tell you he couldn't sing, but he loved being up in the choir and hearing the songs and singing, making a joyful noise to the Lord. Praise the Lord. And you have those people that just can't sing, but they love it. And you can see the joy of the Lord on their face when they're doing what they do, singing. And uh, I looked at him, and I said, you know what? I appreciate your spirit when we sing. You always have a smile on your face. I wasn't going to lie to him and go, you sound amazing. You should go into some of these people that try to sing. You go, they put videos on YouTube, and you go, who in your family told you you could sing? Because they do not love you. But you can always find something to encourage him on, because he did. He encouraged me. When I looked at him, I wanted to smile, because that smile was contagious, and you could tell that it came from his heart, what he was doing. When some of the people that had the best voices had the most sour looks on their faces, because they weren't doing it for the right reasons. But we should encourage each other. Instead of starting fires of hate, we should start fires of love. We should start fires of revival. We have revival coming up. Hey, encourage each other to stay in the Word of God. Encourage each other to be praying for the revival. Get together with somebody before or after the service and say, hey, let's take five minutes and let's just pray for this revival coming up. Let's pray for Hatfields and McCoys. Uh, get together during the week and go out for coffee. Go out and eat something, because we're Baptists. You have to eat if you're going to get together. You can't just pray. You've got to pray and eat. Uh, get together and, get, and pray. Pray for our church. Satan would like nothing better than for Bible Baptist Church to fail and to close its doors permanently. And churches all across the United States have done that. But we need people of prayer that are encouraging each other through prayer in our church. Because when Satan attacks the hardest, God's going to do something great. God's at work, and Satan doesn't want to see it happen. So instead of starting fires, we need to start fires of revival in our church. Encourage each other.
I'll never forget one of the first times, something I appreciate about Pastor Wagner as well. Um, my roommate in college, he asked me how my devotions were, and my devotions were terrible at the time. I was in Bible college studying to go into the ministry, and I wasn't reading my Bible like I should have been. And he asked me about that, and I immediately got offended and said, who are you to ask me about my devotions? How are your devotions today? What did you read? And he went through and told me about his devotions and what he had read and how God had convicted. And do you know what that did to my heart? That convicted me and went, oh, okay, I'm sorry. Pastor Wagner's asked me before I've walked into his office, he goes, hey, what are you reading in your devotions right now? And I so appreciate that because I need somebody to keep me accountable. And it's good to talk about that. When we're driving, going out visiting, he'll say, hey, God showed me this in my devotions this morning. What did God show you in your devotions? Hey, what are you reading? What are you studying right now? What are you meditating on? And that's important to have in our church, to encourage each other, to lift each other up. We need to start the fires of revival. And then we keep on going. Verse number seven. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. People have tamed all kinds of animals. I went to the comedy barn when we first moved here in July. And they had dogs hopping across the stage. There was a dog riding a scooter and a bike across the stage. I haven't even taught my three-year-old son how to ride a bike, and they had a dog riding across the stage on a bike. Uh, they can teach them to do all kinds of th crazy things, uh, these animals, and I couldn't even teach my dog to use the bathroom outside when I had a dog. Bless that little dog's heart. She would use the bathroom, and I couldn't train her. I wasn't even good at that, so I definitely wouldn't be good at training, taming the tongue. But the Bible says here, hey, we can tame all kinds of beasts. If you ever went to the circus and saw them in the cages with those lions, they are crazy, number one. Number two, the Bible says even if you could tame a lion, a tiger, no man can tame the tongue. No man has ever tamed the tongue. It is so difficult. It is so hard. But yet through the power of of God. No man in and of themselves, I cannot do anything, but through God, all things are possible. Nothing is impossible when we put our faith and trust in God. He says in verse 8, the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. If you were to see a poisonous snake or a spider, I, don't, I feel like in Tennessee, they have a lot more spiders than anywhere else I've ever lived my entire life. I've got spiders all over my basement. I was going through my basement last night uh, looking because my wife thought she heard a mouse in the wall. So I was going downstairs in the basement to see if I saw any evidence of mice. I didn't find any mice, but I found lots of spider webs with little eggs in them. I found a black widow spider. The other spiders, I said, I'll take care of you later. The black widow is no more. I found a signature on my ceiling that said, Douth it. Brother Randy and the family built the house. So if anything ever goes wrong, I know exactly who to go talk to. But we were there, and I was looking, and there were so many spiders. When I saw that black widow spider, though, I killed it immediately. In Brazil, we were uh, out working at a farm, and uh, I flipped over a trash can lid, and underneath was a big snake and a bunch of little snakes. And it, I don't remember how to say the name, Jacara or something. It's the most deadly snake in Brazil. And as soon as I saw that, I didn't know if it was poisonous or not. I went and got the missionary, and he spoke no English. I spoke very little Portuguese. It was quite funny to watch us work together. 
Uh, but I went and I pointed at the snake. He went, he ran away. I went, I'm leaving right now. He went and he got a shovel and those snakes were no more. Why? Because those, that deadly poison, we were far enough away from a hospital that we would have died before we had gotten to a hospital that would have been able to help us. And that deadly poison, but the Bible says our tongue can be full of a deadly poison. It can tear down. And when we have poison, when we, get, we, need, we need an anti-venom. If you were to get bit by a snake, you would go to the hospital. They give you an anti-venom to counteract that. Well, when we have our tongues and we speak evil and that venom comes in us, that, that evilness, you need something to counteract it. That's going to be the word of God. But instead of spitting venom into, that, into people's lives, we need to be encouraging each other. Instead of uh, spitting the venom, we need to make sure that we're giving that encouragement and uh, not spitting venom, but let's keep going. The tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Instead of poison, we need to give other things. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. We are made in the image of God. We are made after his image. He loves us. He cares about us but we curse men who were also made in the likeness of God, and then we go bless God. We in churches are very guilty of that. I've been guilty of that. Standing up in church and going, bless you, bless you, brothers and sisters in Christ, brethren and sisters, let's pray. And praying this holy thee thou there for prayer. And then I go home, uh, and on my way home, somebody cuts me off, and I'm cursing that person in front of me going, how dare you cut me off? Or that person gets your order wrong at the restaurant, uh, and you're tearing them up and down, and you're being rude towards them. And God doesn't want that from us. I struggle with road rage. I do. <laughs> I try. That's why it's so hard driving the church buses with all you people on them, because I'm sitting up there talking, and I talk out loud to people. It drives my wife crazy. When I first started working with teenagers, I'd forget I had teenagers in the back. And, and I don't cuss. I'm not saying anything bad. But I'm talking to the person in front of me like they can hear me. Like, well, go ahead. I, I didn't have anywhere to be anyways. <laughs> you know, and my wife would elbow me when I was driving teenagers around. And I'd look in the rearview mirror and see those teenagers just going, what is his problem? And so it's hard for me when I drive the buses. I told Miss Holly... I said, I struggle with that. She goes, I'm the kind of person that's just, ah, oh, you go ahead. You go ahead. I'm the complete opposite. If you wait till the last minute to get over when you've known that that lane was going to close for the last 16 miles, you're not getting in in front of me. I am going to ride that person's bumper. If you cut me off, I lived in New York City for a year. That little bit of New Yorker I have in me from living there and driving there, that New York driving might come out and I will cut you back off. You can get as close to their bumper as you want, but I'm going to stick my nose in there so that you either have to hit me and call your insurance company on why you hit me, or you're going to let me in front of you. And you go, wow, he has some issues. I do. I have lots of issues. If you're just now figuring that out, don't talk to my wife. She can tell you a lot more issues that I have. But God doesn't want us to be here in church and to act one way and talk one way and then go out and live in the world and talk a different way and act a different way to, to bless our God and then to go out and curse men. To bless God and then be out in the lobby of church and start gossiping after church. I've been guilty of that before. To bless God in church and to go out and to hear a message from Pastor Wagner as he's preached and he's poured his heart out and then to go out 
and to talk bad about people, spread poison, to spread lies. And, and we see that happen so often. God says it is wrong. David said in Psalm 141, verse 3, Set a watch, O Lord, by my mouth. Before my mouth, keep the door of my lips. Sometimes the best thing to say is just to say nothing at all. Pastor's been preaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. When people railed accusations against him, sometimes he just stood there and didn't answer a word. That's hard to do. Have you ever stood there while somebody's accusing you, while somebody's talking wrong about you, and just said nothing at all? What's our immediate reaction? I'm going to say something back to them. I'm going to go and I am going to, you're thinking while they're talking, what can I say back to them to get back at them? Because that is a lie. And, that is, and Jesus Christ set the perfect example and just stood there. They railed accusations against him. How hard is it? But David understood that he had a struggle with his mouth. And he said, keep the door on my lips. Sometimes it's better just to keep that door shut. How many times have I gotten myself in trouble because I didn't just keep my mouth shut? I should have opened my mouth wide and put my foot in, but I had to say something. I had to get my two cents worth in there. Husbands and wives, have you ever been there? You and your wife are in an argument, and you got to get that last little jab in there, and then she's got to get that last little jab in there, and then it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse until this little thing turns into something huge. I'll never forget talking to a husband and wife. They were supposed to come over to our house for dinner. And they were good friends of ours. We have a really good relationship with them, and they're a great Christian couple. But they didn't end up coming over to our house. And they said, sorry, we're not going to be able to make it over for dinner tonight. And I went, wow, I hope everything's okay. My wife talked to her afterwards, and this is what had happened. She set her clothes out for work the next day and laid them all out nice on the bed, had her outfit, her shoes, her, her whatever she was wearing to work that next day, all set out on the bed nice. And her husband thought, She's always saying, I throw my dirty laundry on the floor, and I never put it in the basket. I'm going to do something nice for her. I'm going to take all the laundry from the entire house and put it in the dirty laundry basket. So he did. He went and he picked up his dirty clothes out of the corner, the socks that were sitting right in front of the hamper, which drives my wife batty. My basketball skills aren't good, so the clothes don't make it in the basket when I shoot it (laughs) from across the room. It it drives her crazy. But this guy, he thought, I'm going to be a good husband today before we go over to the bishop's house. I'm going to put all the clothes in the laundry. Well, they're getting ready to leave, and the wife notices her outfit isn't on the bed anymore. <laughs> it's in the dirty clothes. And she goes, Daniel, where is my clothes? And he goes, well, I picked them all up, and I put them all in the dirty clothes for you, honey. You're welcome. And then it went back and forth, back and forth, until just picking up clothes turned into this huge fight. They ended up not going out that night because they had to get back. And I think we could all tell examples of that where that's happened in America because nobody here has a perfect marriage. If you do, uh, I want to get some marriage counseling from you because I don't. Kelly and I have a great marriage, and uh, I love her to death, but our marriage isn't perfect. She'd be the first to tell you that I am an imperfect person. I am, all right? She's pretty close to perfect. She's not quite there, but she's pretty close to perfect. If you're listening, Kelly, I love you. Uh, and, but we try to get back at each other, and we're thinking about what we're going to say back, and these little arguments turn into big fights when we could have just diffused them by going, hey, that night he could have diffused the whole situation by going, I'm so sorry, honey. I wasn't thinking when I saw that outfit laid out on the bed, but instead he bit back at her, and she bit back at him, and he bit back at her, and, she, and then you start pulling out dirty laundry out of the closet, and it turns into this big fight, And then you're getting marriage counseling from the pastor the next week. All over clothes laid out on the bed, and we laugh at that, but that happens all the time. And that happens in friendships, too. 
You know how many friendships I've seen that have fallen apart because of something silly? Because some, I saw a friendship fall apart. They had been friends for 45 years. They were in their 60s. I call her my adopted grandma. I love her to death. But her best friend, the husband, passed away. And uh, my adopted grandma was trying to give the other ladies a little bit of space to grieve. And she went one day without calling her. And they've never talked since. That's been 15 years ago. Over one day, a 45-year friendship. That's silly. But our tongue's a powerful thing. And we say things, and they got in a fight, and they said things to each other, and it permanently hurt them. Let's be careful with our tongue. We need to tame the tongue, but it can only be done through the power of God. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, and that's where we're going to finish tonight, Colossians 4, verse 6. While you're turning there, Ephesians 4, 29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. No corrupt communication should proceed out of the mouth of a Christian. But Philippians 4, 6 says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. I'm thankful for the grace of God. We've talked about it a lot recently. But let the grace of God come out in our speech. Amen. You ever had something that had a little bit, it wasn't seasoned quite right? What do you want to do? You want to add a little bit of salt to it. Have you ever had somebody offended because you added salt to their food? I love salt. I put more salt in everything than you probably should. I'm probably going to die of heart disease at 32. But uh, I love salt. But when I put salt in something, if I'm cooking, I have to be mindful of that. Hey, don't put too much salt in that because nobody else is going to like it but you. It means more food for me. Kelly will go, how much salt did you put in this? I like it. That's all that matters, right? But the Bible says, let our conversation, let it be seasoned with salt. Be careful. Speak with grace, with kindness to each other. So we're all on the same team here, and I'm thankful for this church and the love that you guys have for each other. And I see it every day. You guys call each other. You encourage each other. You're, you're uh, always checking up on each other. And uh, I just, it's been a blessing to be here, but let's be careful because all it takes is one little thing. So somebody sowing some seeds of discontentment, and we can, we can go down a path that we don't need to as a church. Thank you, Bible Baptist Church, for your love for God, for your love for people for encouraging people, sitting with visitors and encouraging the Copenhagen. I know pastors said it before, but they, they were sitting with visitors before they were even members of the church. And that's how we should be. Everybody in here should be. And I think that we have so many people like that that are encouraging. Say, hey, come to Sunday school with me. Hey, it's scary to go to a church for the first time. You don't know where anything is. You don't know what the schedule is. So they need somebody to come alongside them and say, hey, come sit with me. Hey, come sit over here with me. Hey, come to my Sunday school class. And we need to be that church. Thank you so much for listening tonight. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. We'll close in a word of prayer.